there, everybody. Hope you're doing well and welcome back to the uh, Taking Care of Business podcast. This is your host, Dan Trottencheck. Um, we are getting into uh, a period of these podcasts that I'm actually excited for. We've been we've been talking so much about a lot of issues uh, from COVID to some of the uh, issues surrounding diversity and inclusion and all those kind of really kind of heavy topics that we've dominated our show with for the last couple of months. And, and now we're going into, again, we always want to focus on some of the uplifting stuff. And man, some of the podcasts we're going to have coming out over the series the next couple of months are are. are all of that. They are certainly uplifting. And every year uh, we've been doing this program. And, and, and quite honestly, we've been doing this program. This is our 24th year. So we've been doing this program as long as I have been with the North American Retail Hardware Association, our Young Retailer of the Year program. But every year when we do this, this is really one of the most um, uplifting and encouraging times of the year for us. And what's kind of cool about the program this year is because everything was going on with COVID and all the uncertainty and difficulties with traveling and so on, we're doing some of the Young Retailer of the Year uh, awards in a virtual format and, and, and look forward to more information from NRHA in the coming weeks as, as to how we're doing that. So, so the good part about that is there's going to be a lot more people out there that will get exposed to the magnificent stories of these young retailers of the year. And, and just to just to start out a little bit about these awards, we started these awards, again, over two decades ago, really as a way to encourage young people to engage in a long and productive career in hardware retailing. Um, and so every year we have a panel of judges and we get submissions from across North America um, from young retailers uh, under the age of 35. Uh, and they have certain criteria that we look for. We look for what their impact has been on the business, but we also look at things like what their impact is on the communities they serve and what kind of things that they are doing to further their education and training in hardware retailing. And, and once we go through that and all the scores are added up, uh, we take the top seven uh, score getters and those uh, individuals are recognized for their achievements with the Young Retail of the Year Award. And when you hear these stories, one thing that I always say is, it's amazing to listen to some of the stories and think about what I was doing when I was 35 and what I had achieved when I was 35 and these, these these winners are, are certainly truly impressive. And our guest today, the first one in this series, is going to be Matthew Holmes. And you'll learn all about Matthew as we get into that. But what's probably more important to point out, too, is that a, a hugely important part of making our Young Retail of the Year program a success are the companies that choose to sponsor these awards. And, and because they are so integral, not only to making sure these awards continue to happen, but because they are so dedicated to making sure that the industry, the independent segment of home improvement retailers, have a good line of succession um, moving forward, we wanted to make sure that we single them out as part of these podcasts as well. So along with the winners, we're also going to be letting you uh, get to know a little bit about each one of the Young Retailer of the Year sponsors as we do this podcast series. And so my first guest today uh, is one of a longtime friend of the association and a company uh, that, that certainly most everybody who's out in the audience should have heard of. Uh, we have Glenn Gavart from Midwest Fastener, um, who's been, again, as I said, a, a good colleague and supporter of not just NRHA, but of independent retailers. And, and Glenn, uh, welcome to the program and thank you guys for what you do with your sponsorship. Hey Dan, uh, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Glad, uh, glad to be on with you. Glenn, I, like I said, I think most people out there, I mean, Midwest Fastener is, is um, you know, certainly synonymous with independent hardware retailing in the industry. And, and we want to assume that most people know about Midwest Fastener, but maybe you can start out just giving us, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for some people who might not be as familiar, just a little kind of guide of what Midwest Fastener is, what you guys do, what, what, what the company is all about, and what your role is too at the company. What do you do for it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So Midwest, uh, we're a family-owned and operated fastener company uh, based out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. 
uh, been in business for over 50 years and uh, uh, we serve the independent hardware stores, home centers and lumber yards uh, across the country uh, and internationally. We've got uh, about 175 sales reps who uh, go out and call on stores and take orders and, and uh, uh, all over the country on a daily basis. Uh, we work through uh, uh, the independent distributors and, uh, and co-ops and, and that's really our main focus is, is the independent channel. Uh, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm currently the uh, vice president of hardware sales for Midwest Fastener. So you get to know these guys. I mean, you know the independent stores on a pretty, uh, pretty uh, intimate basis, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, and, and I know, like I said, you, you guys have been, as a company, so supportive of NRHA and the industry. But what is it that kind of particularly draws you guys to support the Young Retailer of the Year program? Well, the, the, the Young Retailer of the Year uh, program, this is uh, probably our 10th year of sponsoring yeah. the event or pretty close to that. Um, and uh, um, it, it really exemplifies everything that's, that's right and good in the industry, if you will. And, and these young retailers, I'm amazed at, like you said, you know, some of the stories that you see and, and what these uh, young people have accomplished by 35. And, and uh, uh, 35 is just the ceiling of that age limit. But I, some, of the, some of the stories from the, some, you know, some of the winners that are in their 20s and so on, it's like, wow, holy, yeah. holy smokes, they're really doing something impressive. But it, it's really they're, they're the lifeblood of, of our industry, and it's really that next generation that's uh, uh, that's, that's critical to the long-term success of our industry. And uh, um, you know, it's it's the independents that are are uh, continuing to to take care of the you know the, the needs of their local communities and so on. And it's so important. And so um, you know, when we were younger and kids, I mean, the hardware store was a uh, was was so important to our local community and and with the, the you know the introduction of the, uh, the mass merchants and the big boxes some of that kind of faded a little bit but you and I both know that good good independents have always been there and always will be yeah. and I think through all of our current uh, COVID and all the things that are going on right now I'm seeing a huge we're seeing a huge turn back to those retail, independent retailers uh, which is awesome because uh, uh, while while my kids have, have grown up knowing what the local hardware stores are. And, and shop them. Not everybody their generation has. And I think they're getting new exposure to that. So having these young retailers um, uh, continue on the tradition, if you will, I, I, we think is uh, is very important. Yeah, and, and uh, like you said, I mean, I think now probably more than in the last five to ten years, with the with with again some of the challenges from the lockdown and so on, a lot more people are discovering those local independent businesses. And I and I also think that uh, just home improvement in general right now has really been, you know, as people have been home now because they haven't been able to go out or go on vacation, so many more people are tackling those home improvement projects. So it, 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 it hopefully is a time that we'll be able to uh, um, translate to positive momentum for the independents in the industry. And you guys, I mean, independents are such a key part of Midwest Fastener business and, and, how you guys go to market. Tell us just a little bit more about like uh, why, why, indep why independents are so mission critical to what Midwest does. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, we've been in business, like I said, just over 50 years, family owned and operated. The, the goal when Midwest Fastener started was to, um, uh, you know, feed the family that, uh, that, that started the business and owned the business. And, uh, um, you know, then we start. You know, then they they were they got you know contacted by somebody in Georgia. Hey, can I sell your product here and in California and in New England? And so that's just kind of how it grew. Um, and uh, it, the independent channel—that's really where we were. I mean, it's it, it's right. really who's the, the channel that's gotten us and the customer base that's gotten us to where we are and the success that we are today. And uh, and it's also the channel that's going to take us where we're going tomorrow. We you know we've done. A few other different things along the way and we have a very small percentage that we do in other categories but really that independent channel that we've been so closely tied to it um, and there's a lot less distributors than there were today you know today than there were when we first started uh, but we we've always worked our, our, our distribution channels are, are are clearly defined and then that's how we do it we do it through two-step distribution and we do it through the uh, the, the co-ops and the distributors so like I said the independent channel has gotten us to to where we are today and it's 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 going to take us where we're going tomorrow and so we've been very closely tied to that and and we find that uh 
you know, the in, independent entrepreneurship of, of the independents is really that same entrepreneurship that helped build our company to where we yeah. are today. So um, it's it, it always been a, uh, a kindred spirit, if you will, there. So Fantastic. Speaking about where Midwest is going, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on at Midwest today? What are some things that the, the listeners and independent retailers out there might want to know about what you guys are doing? And, and is it kind of business as usual now back there? And I, 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 you know, I know you talked about your sales force and all that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So it, it's interesting. Uh, um, it's anything but business as usual right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, a, like a lot of the retailers, we're doing everything we can to, uh, to keep up. Uh, um, our industry, of course, has been deemed essential, uh, uh, thanks to you and a lot of the retailers and distributors and, and, and the association and all. And, and with that in mind, uh, we're doing everything we can to uh, to keep up right now. We're doing very well with that. We've uh, we're in a strong inventory position, and so things are going well there. But but one thing that our president keeps telling us, you know, we're not. This is not a time to to sit back and and uh, right. and, and see what's going to happen and so on. We're continuing to be uh, to be focused on what it looks like going forward. We're, so we're continuing to to add SKUs. We're continuing to add product. Uh, in continuing to add reps and field management and distribution capacity and and uh, um, you know we're continuing to do that on purpose and 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 so that we can be in a in as strong a position as we can coming out of this to whatever the new normal is. Um, and uh, the other thing we're doing right now is is construction fasteners are a big part of our business and continue to get a bigger part of our our business like it is with a lot of uh, of, of fastener companies out there. It's becoming a bigger category for the uh, the independent channel as well. And and we're going through a huge uh, construction fastener initiative right now. Uh, okay. A lot of work being put in, and, and early in, in 2021, there's going to be a lot of new items, a lot of new categories and things like that that are going to be coming online with us. And so we're pretty excited about that for sure. Oh, fantastic. Now, I know, um, you know, this is going to be the upcoming market season. You and I were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. It's going to be a little bit different with with uh, fewer, if any, uh, you know, live events scheduled. A lot of it going to be virtual. And I'm sure you guys will be, you know, at all your normal places, but if, if, if uh, virtual, by virtual. But um, Outside of that, outside of getting to connect with you guys at the virtual markets and so on, what are some good ways that uh, a retailer uh, could get in touch with Midwest Fastener or learn a little bit more about Midwest Fastener uh, in the meantime? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So we've got uh, uh, both a, a website and, and, and toll-free number, but the, the website's fastenerconnection.com, uh, and uh, and that's a great way to get on there. Okay. It's a... Uh, uh, for, for retailers coming in to see what it's all about, and you know, you can go through the front pages and so on. That uh, that website is just intended to uh, support our bricks and mortar operations that we oh, sell okay. to. So no consumers or contractors can get on there and place orders, but our our uh, retailers that we work with sure can, and they can do a lot of different things and and uh, uh, through the website. So that's fasteneconnection.com, a great way to to start the process if somebody is interested. And the other way is our phone number. Uh, we've got. Uh, uh, toll free is 800-444-7313. 800-444-7313. It's a good opportunity to reach out to our customer service to, to start a lead process with reps and the field management that we have in place. Uh, we love to stop by and visit hardware stores, take a look at what's going on in the store and, and talk fasteners, what challenges they might, you know, a retailer might be experiencing and, and what we can do to help them uh, uh, sell more fasteners. So. Well, and, and, you know, I, I can tell you from all the stores we visit, I mean, fastener selection is a big area opportunity for independent retailers, because if anybody, honestly, that even goes into a big box and thinks, oh, well, you know, they got a lot of fasteners, there's a lot of gaps in those assortments that, um, that independent retailers could really exploit by looking at, um, looking at how they manage their own fastener presentation. And, and I've been to a ton of really good independent retailers that have fasteners right at the heart of what they're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. We're doing, you know, we're doing a lot of what we call fastener destinations, which are some of those stores that take it to a whole new level. And, yeah. and where we used to have a handful of destinations in a, in a state or in a, in a geographical area, you know, we've got dozens and dozens of them now in, in areas and that's, and that's encouraging. And what I, what we love to hear is we, you know, uh, I, I talk to retailers who say, yeah, the, the guy at the local big box store sends them over here when they can't yeah. supply them with what they need. Yeah. And that, that always brings a smile to my face and the retailer's face for that matter too. I bet. So, uh, 
that's always encouraging. There's a lot of a lot of widgets and wiggle pins and odd size metric <laughs> and things like that that uh, uh, that the big boxes are never going to carry that uh, uh, that we really excel at and can help the retailers and the independents do the same. Absolutely, and and so uh, again, I'd also like to stress as all these virtual markets are coming up, and if you're a retailer listening to us and you're doing your planning for those, make sure you include Midwest Fastener into your into your stop buy or stop virtually by plan for the upcoming markets. Um, Glenn, again, thank you so much uh, for your time today. And, and more importantly, thank you for what you guys are doing to support independent retailers and particularly what you guys do to support NRHA and this program. Uh, we, we truly appreciate it. And I know the retailers do too. Well, Dan, thank you very much for having me on. Congratulations to all the winners uh, this year. Exciting stuff. And uh, I'm always excited about what these young retailers, uh, I'm looking forward to listening to each one of the podcasts and, and seeing the stories and learning about each one of them. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm excited for, uh, for the industry as a whole. And I'm also excited for that uh, next generation of retailers coming up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much. And everybody, uh, we're going to be right back with our conversation with Matthew Holmes. Thank you again, Glenn. All right. Thanks, Dan. All right, everybody. We are back with our first Young Retailer of the Year Award winner for the 2020 class. And we are here talking to Matthew Holmes. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hey guys. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Doing real good. Hope you're doing, hope you're doing well today. And Matthew, you were a winner in the multiple store category. And um, why don't you start out uh, by talking to our audience a little bit, just tell them a little bit about your operation, what you guys do, uh, what kind of stores you guys run, a little bit about the market you're in and what kind of customers you guys work with, just to get the audience a little bit familiarized with uh, where you're coming from. Sure. No problem at all. Um, so we're based out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the greater Baton Rouge area. Uh, we have two stores in the area, one in Baton Rouge and one in a suburb about 15 miles outside of Baton Rouge. Um, Baton Rouge, greater Baton Rouge is composed of about 834,000 people. Um, so for us, uh, we are a multiple store lumber yard. Uh, we employ about 150 people oh, okay. um, total between the two stores and uh, big focus on obviously lumber and building materials. We're heavy into millwork. Uh, we're one of the only people that have our own uh, doorstop in the area. So we prehang both interiors and exteriors. Have a great uh, hardware showroom where you can basically find anything that you would like um, and try to kind of be a one-stop shop for most builders. We offer um, some installed services on windows and doors uh, as well as insulation two of the products that we actually do install that we provide uh, we do have a flooring showroom um, so i mean you can we don't sell concrete we don't sell stucco we don't sell brick basically anything else that you need to build a house with is is right up our alley um, we cater um i wouldn't say necessarily to the contractor but more to probably the professional whether okay. that's a professional that's building their own deck at their house and doing it themselves or whether that's a professional that you've hired to come build a million dollar house okay. um, that's kind of the, the type people that we cater to um, don't really deal with track builders or anything like that uh, would really our, our target customer is probably the builder that builds five to ten houses a year um, we've got nine outside sales guys which is pretty heavy in the market but i mean that's the people are what make ourselves different um, than anyone else. And, and those outside sales guys account for about 75% of our overall business. Okay. All right. So, and, and you guys are also a family business, right? I, I mean, so you've kind of been around the business your whole life. That's correct. My great grandfather started it uh, back in the late fifties in 1957. It started out as a uh, brick and salvage yard. Mm -hmm. So they would come in, people would pay them to demolish old buildings and they would salvage anything that they could out of it, whether it be old pine beans, which are popular, old windows and doors. I mean, I, I can remember as a kid, the business transitioned um, in the late 80s from a brick and salvage yard to a lumber yard just because people came in and they would want, they're going to buy these old Cypress beans, but then they need a little bit of new lumber, right? And so okay. over time it transitioned. But I can still remember as a kid, I mean, we would have porcelain toilets 
in the showroom, you know, for sale for whatever, $5 or whatever the number is, right? Because we took them out of, they're not new. We took them out of a building and we are reselling them, you know? Oh, okay. um, so that's kind of where it started. My, my father has retired uh, about a year and a half ago now. Um, so uh, I don't have much family in the business. It's kind of a strange uh, family business because it was me and my father. Uh, now it's myself running it. And I do have a cousin that's involved as far as uh, estimating goes, but we don't, I don't have an aunt in it and an uncle and a mother and, and have some of the family dynamic that I've heard horror stories about necessarily. My dad and I get along very, very well. Um, He's doing a good job of staying retired. I will give him that. He likes to travel and do his do his thing. Um, but I report to him kind of like a board of directors would report to an owner um, with some updates and things like that. So it, it's a good dynamic. The business has been around for a long time. We've gone through some, uh, through some seems like South Louisiana always has disasters, whatever it is, whether it's coronavirus or flooding or hurricanes or whatnot. So we've had our fair share of challenges and made it through it. Um, the people are, are what help us make it through. There's no way that I could do all this on my own. So. Well, tell me, I, I always find this interesting. What are some of your like earliest memories of the business? <laughs> so my, I guess my favorite story to tell um, is the reason why I got started in the business. I wanted a fossil watch. Fossil is a brand name. Um, and it was a, a metal watch to, to, you know, that a, a fifth grader wanted, and it was probably $60, and my parents would not give it to me, and of course, no fifth grader has $60, or not many that I know, um, and dad said, well, I'm not going to give you the $60, but you come work for it, so I started working, I was, I, you know, it was on the weekend, it was a little bit after school, I would sweep floors, and I, I don't even know what I made back then, probably $5 an hour or something yeah. negligible, right? And then I finally made my $60 to buy my fossil watch. And then I went out with mom, got my fossil watch, and I abruptly quit. <laughs> and then the next time I needed something that my parents wouldn't give me, I would come back to work and I'd work a little bit and I'd earn my money and I'd quit again. So that's that was my intro into it until it really got into high school where I made a little bit more money working on the side for them and doing some things. Um, Dad was always a real big proponent on me getting some outside experience. Um, so throughout high school and college, I worked um, either doing odd jobs, basically for contractors that he knew. So I was the, the cleanup guy, the tear it up guy for a remodeler, maybe. Oh, yeah. Or okay. I was doing estimating in college um, for a commercial guy because my dad had taught me estimating my freshman year. Um, and I got fairly good at it. And I started doing that for a couple of years for a commercial guy. So I, I had some experience outside of the business um, in construction and, and new construction was always something that I wanted to be a part of and really liked. Well, I got to ask you, do you still have the fossil watch? I do not have the fossil watch. I have a fossil watch, but um, those, those $60 watches weren't built real well. And I don't think I took care of it real well either. Uh, so I do have a fossil watch uh, back from, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, but not the same one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, that would have been a great memento to have hanging up the first, the first uh, fruits of your labors from, from, from uh, the family business. Um, what, That's what, right. Well, I don't, I don't know if anybody would know that it's not the actual one. I probably should hang it up and have like a good story behind that. That's a really good yeah. idea. It could be uh, like uh, one of the, just hanging behind your desk or something. And it could be an inspirational story about how you have to work hard to get what you want and, <laughs> and who would ever know. <laughs> Uh, what was the time when you decided, when you kind of, uh, you know, you, you know, you say you got a little bit more serious about working things in high school and so on, but when did you kind of decide, you know, maybe this is, this is a career for me. This is, this is the direction I want to go kind of with my life, because as most people know that uh, running a family business and owning a business is more than just, you know, a job. It's, it's a lifestyle. When, when did you decide to, to, that, that that was the lifestyle you kind of wanted to pursue? So. Um... My wife and I both graduated at the same time from LSU. Uh, she was going to medical school in North Louisiana, about four hours away. Okay. At the time, she wasn't my wife, but we got engaged uh, because I wasn't going to be apart from her. We dated, we're high school sweethearts. I wasn't going to be apart from her. 
and I wasn't going to move four hours away and not be married to her. So we got married and we lived in Shreveport for four years. And at the time, then she graduated medical school and then we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do and she needed to go to residency and so on. And it just seemed like Baton Rouge was the fit back for us coming back to the hometown. She got in residency in Baton Rouge and that's when I really got serious inside the business. Um, we had had one child by then. Um, so I started back in the business uh, full time uh, then, which would have put it in the 2007 range okay. um, and started in outside sales and did outside sales for three or four years, um, trying to get back and familiarize myself with the customer base, get myself in front of those customers and just just kind of relearn the business. When I lived in Shreveport, I worked for um a scatterlot builder up there, uh, United Built Homes, and got some really, as the superintendent building houses, so oh. got some really good experience being on the other side of the desk. Yeah, yeah. And could kind of see the pitfalls, knowing enough about the lumber yards, and then see some of the pitfalls on some of the lumber yards up there, just from me knowing kind of the ins and outs. And I'm going, man, we could we could do it way better than that. So um, that that helped me in my experience. It's hard to sell something that you don't know how to use. And the sheer fact that I built houses before for four years allows me to sell the building materials to build those houses with now. Yeah. Well, I, it, it seems like when you came back to the business, you also kind of had a, a plan for where you might want to see it grow. And I mean, just to kind of give the, our listeners some indication of some of the things that you guys were able to accomplish. I mean, after rejoining the business, you guys were able to, to, to really kind of post some pretty significant increases in sales. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not certainly, you know, um, trying to uh, make you brag about yourself, but I, I'm just curious if you can kind of talk us through what you guys did after you came back to the business that really helped you kind of real, uh, uh, get your, get, get homes on, on a, on a platform. Uh, on a trajectory for growth. What did you guys do exactly that, that, that allowed you to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to brag necessarily upon myself. That's not the kind of, like you said, that's, that's yeah, not the I kind don't of put you on the spot. But, I am, right? but and, and look, we have, at the time, we had five outside sales guys. I was probably the sixth. Now we have nine. Um, but it's, a salesperson as good as those five were that we had and still have because they're still with us now, it, they can't sell themselves. And I can sell myself because it's a family business, right? And that's one of the advantages that I had. At that point, dad was more involved with operations and less um, actually out there selling. So I think part of just having me out there is me selling myself because I could and we could make promises and do things and think outside the box on on issues and um sales calls because it i had a little bit more stroke on that i guess you could say yeah. um i mean i mean that's part of it we've had we've had our fair share of um disasters uh that sometimes are not a bad thing for the building material industry yeah. um part yeah. of that has helped we've had a kind of strategic growth plan with acquiring um, some smaller businesses uh, that have helped make us a little bit better well-rounded. So, for example, uh, the millwork side of it, right? Um, we bought a business um, and uh, had six or seven people that came to work for us that made us really the player in the market when it came to building our own pre-hanging our own door units, right? Um, with that comes challenges, managerial challenges, and it's and at a point three or four years out of my sales role, that's when I kind of grew into a more of a managerial role because of some of the the company was getting too big. Like I couldn't just be a salesman. I couldn't just have a sales mentality. Yeah. Um, but, but those are some of the things that that we used um, and trying to really be a one stop shop. That's the biggest. Once we got out of just being a lumberyard and a hardware store and being able to provide one person to call, that being the outside salesperson, and not having to call three or four different people for one item really made it made it well for us, right? So 
Um, the salesperson is always the general person that has the relationship, and then we get them to specialists, whether it be windows or doors or flooring or lumber to kind of help close the deal and solidify it. What, what would you say was the, you had experience, you know, kind of in that contracting world, then you came back in and you're on the sales side and you're doing project estimating and working with the contractors. And then you made the switch to kind of more of that strategic, like, like you just said, kind of the managerial part where you're overseeing the operations of the business, but also kind of the strategic trajectory of the business. What Was there any step in there that kind of proved difficult for you or you kind of said, oh boy, maybe I'm, I'm kind of in over my head or I've got, I've, I've got to kind of really uh, learn a lot here? So we had two really good managers at each oh, okay. one of the lumber yards. Um, but we, I, I kind of got stuck wherever we had a new project or where we were growing too fast and couldn't really control it. Uh, a new project being computer system. So for yeah, okay. a year we worked on transitioning through a computer system. And as everyone knows that has ever done that, that never goes as smoothly as you would think. Although man, the day that it's happening, you're going, I got this under control. And then the next day, it just blows up in your face. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was one of those projects where like, we just needed a lead on a project. Um, it was going to involve the entire company, but we didn't really have somebody to put on it. So then I got put on it. Um, another good example was our door shop. Um, the demand was so high for that place. Um, and for us building units, we didn't have a great, um, we didn't have a great organizational scheme over there. So then I got put over there to help with it. In the meantime, um, we had a huge flood and that proved uh, one thing that, and you know, during a flood, we didn't know this, but everybody needed sheetrock insulation and doors and trim. Yeah. And the doors were the hardest part because that is the most labor intensive of all of them. Sheetrock's not a big deal because you unload a truck and you put it in the back of somebody else's, but um, building door units uh, were a challenge to say the least that went on for about eight to 10 months. Um, so things like that. I mean, we, where the lumber yards were a little bit more stable, I kind of got placed in places where we were really struggling, which was a good thing. And I was all for, it, you know, if I can't make it right, then my theory is nobody can. Well, <laughs> well, I want to come back to that, that moment in time here in a minute, but, but I, I wanted to ask you as we're going into that, who, who did you kind of look at? You say you had, a, had, a, had a, some good management uh, in, in the stores, but who did you kind of lean on for, uh, you know, as a role model or to kind of learn the ropes as you were coming into the industry? I'm sure your father helped with that, but, but what were kind of the, the, the sources uh, that you had that you could turn to to kind of learn the business? Yeah, so as far as when I graduated LSU and the construction process in general, um, I had a really good mentor uh, that still works for United Built Homes that helped me. He was my boss. I was a superintendent building houses. His name is Steve Wardlaw, and he taught me a tremendous amount. I mean, basically, I got stuck from reading a book in college to building people's dream homes the first year out of that. And I had no idea what I was doing. No <laughs> clue. And man, he, he was a huge asset. He taught me so much about building and relationships and sales. And he was just one of those guys, no matter how mad a customer was when he got out of the truck and he talked to that customer, he was going to be best friends with him. Right. And I mean, he was, he was a salesman, even though he really wasn't selling, selling anything. Um, so he was a huge asset for us to have, for me to have for four years and really a good mentor during that time period up in Shreveport. And then you said it, the other one is my father. My dad has done an unbelievable job in the preparation that it has taken to transition from himself running the business to myself. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, it's been, it's an, been an amazing transition. Um, he's planted for years and years. I mean, I can remember when I was still in Shreveport now would be coming back to town. He would be talking about the transition. Do you think you want to come back? Do you want to take the business over? When do you want to take it over? I've got a, at that point, probably a 10 year plan and this and that, and we can, you know, we can do this and we can buy that and, and merge these two things together. And so, I mean, he's been his, his forethought and his foresight of, of the future has just been great to be able to learn from. Um, and it's not necessarily working on the business day in, day out, but it, it's, it's having that 10,000 foot flyover, like he would say, 
and really understanding what's going on. Because honestly, anybody can manage the business on a day-in, day-out basis. But in order to keep job stability and job security and be a long-term investment in the community and in our customers and employees, you've got to have that forward-thinking motion, right? You've got to know what's coming down the line. So he's taught me a lot about that um, and a lot about just how to be a good person. Well, and that's one of the obvious benefits of of being in that kind of family environment, being able to, you know, it, it's a relationship that that is is can sometimes be stressful, but uh, but but it's something else that so many people kind of overlook that ability to have that kind of different relationship with your parents and and, and in other cases brothers and sisters or whatever that that there's always that father son bond, but then when it's when it's dealing with business, it becomes more of a mentorship role, and that's that's so nice to hear that that you were able to kind of learn from that and and become a better business operator because of that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, during work, it was very much a work-like relationship, which actually was a great thing looking back at it. And then probably the only detriment and part of having, part of the bad thing about having a family business is any family function gathering or anything like that. The only thing me and dad are doing is talking about business over on the side at, a, at you know, what a, at my niece's birthday party and everybody else is having a good time and we're talking about business. So it, it's hard to disconnect from that business rule. But at business, at work, I feel like him and I have a really good understanding and relationship about business. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I want to go back for a second. You, you know, you were talking about for a minute about some of the the business challenges of dealing with this flooding, but I think it was kind of part of the story uh, that was included in your in your uh, nomination for the award that I, that I just wanted to wanted to uh, speak to for a second. Is that you know so many times, and particularly whether it's it's you know what we've seen with COVID or or, or some of the other challenges that that we've faced in, in the recent past. Um, it's always the independent hardware and home centers and lumber yards that are kind of at the center of helping communities rebuild. And you guys, you know, had, had a number of examples of that, but one of them that kind of, uh, you know, was, was uh, of, of within your recent past was this flooding that, that hit your area. And when I was reading this and, and really the, 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 you know, the impact of that on the area of 28 inches of rain falling in less than two days. I don't know if people could really imagine that kind of thing, but, but then how your business, how homes building materials really kind of help the community, not only rebuild by giving supplies to dealers, but also some of the stuff you guys did donating building materials and stuff. Tell us a little bit about some of your activities and efforts around that. Yeah, I mean, the situation was crazy just because if a hurricane is coming, you see the hurricane coming days in advance, right? And you go, this is not going to be a good situation. I don't like it. You see the trajectory and everything else. With this, this was a, a rain event. I mean, like you just you say, oh, well, it's going to rain today, right? Well, it rained and it didn't stop for three days. And during that time period, there was 28 inches that fell. So no one was prepared for this at all. Um, three quarters of Livingston Parish, the parish right next to East Baton Rouge Parish, so our, our satellite store, uh, the one in Livingston, is is in the parish. Three quarters of it flooded. We were really fortunate. The actual store did not get any water in it. The yard that is a little bit lower with some of the building materials got a little bit of water, but the store didn't. And then our store in Baton Rouge did not flood uh, either. And we, so we were super fortunate when it came to that. Um, but the, the challenges that it proved uh for the upcoming months were just were insane so um there was many many people that did not have flood insurance i would i don't know this for a fact i would think probably two-thirds of the people that did flood had no insurance so if you were located next to the waterway then you had insurance but if you were anywhere else you didn't have flood insurance so now these people could have had six inches of water. They, some people had seven to eight feet of water in their house. I mean, like the, some of the cleanup and the damage that happened was just devastating. And we would go through and help and volunteer on weekends, cleaning up and tearing out tea rock, tearing up insulation, seeing what the damage was. And these people are just devastated. They have no money to fix the house up. They had right. no insurance. They didn't plan on, you know, this thousand year flood ever happening during their lifetime. 
Um, so whether we have always uh, tried to help out um, to whenever it comes to charities, we try to help two different types of people, um, whether that's children or uh, the elderly, the elderly people basically that can't take care of themselves. Right. Yeah. So that's always where we cater to when it comes to charitable um, events. And then as far as this goes, um, obviously the elderly that have had a house that flooded and physically can't fix it is just, it's depressing. I mean, there was people coming in the store crying. We were handing out cases of water because people just didn't have water. They had no running water, no nothing. I mean, this was, it was absolutely insane. We opened up three or four days after the flood. We were actually allowed to open because we didn't flood or anything like that. So then people were coming in, getting the necessary items they needed to, to one, tear their house up, tear sheetrock off and insulation out and things like that. Then two, try to put it all back whether that's insulation, sheetrock, doors, trim, any of those things. So um, we were really fortunate um, to be able, business was good. Um, so we were able to help out um, some employees that needed loans to fix houses. The worst thing was if, if you were working for somebody and they flooded, well, they're not in business, right? Yeah. So then you fix up your house and you go from there. Well, that didn't happen with us. So our guys busted their butt for 10 hours a day, helping everybody get the materials that they needed. And they got to go home at six o'clock only to have to fix their own house. I mean, like it was, it was incredible. I had somebody, and I didn't know this and shame on me, but uh, I had a guy that works with me and he told me, man, I'm so happy this weekend. I finally sleep in a bed. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been sleeping on an air mattress for the last four months fixing my house up. And I mean, he would come to work. He wouldn't complain. He wouldn't moan and groan, you know, but like, I, I just, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. Um, so helping through churches, um, donating materials, uh, donating time, donating money, helping employees, whether that's giving them material um, or coming up with some kind of financial assistant for them. I mean, we try to do anything we can to be a good partner in the community um, because we were one of the few people that were actually open and doing quite a bit of business. I mean, we, we couldn't, we couldn't control it. Um, I would not want that to happen again. I will tell you that. Sure. I don't care what the sales numbers look like. It was not a fun time. Well, and, and everyone that was involved with it would agree. <laughs> and, and to kind of put some perspective on you guys efforts, um, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, but, but the, the, the uh, charitable work you guys did and organizing and helping out and working with vendors, you guys were able to build, rebuild 32 homes for, for, for local residents. I mean, that's a lot of people that you're putting back into homes. Um, and, and that's in addition to helping out employees and donate and matching dollar for dollar donations that were coming into the cause. So, I, I mean, what a great example of uh, an independent business you know, both literally and figuratively helping rebuild a community after a disaster. And, I, and I'd imagine for you guys now, like you said, you, you don't, you, you certainly don't want to go back and repeat the situation, but that's got to be one of your prouder moments as a, as a young guy running a, running a business to be able to give back to the community in that sort of way. Well, and it was amazing the families that we were able to help this all rolls through the churches. So we have uh, guys that work for us that go to XYZ church, right? Well, that church is involved with redoing so-and-so's house. And then there's a little lady that goes to the church that can't afford to fix up her house. So she goes and asks the church for help. That word gets back to us. And that's how we pick those families um, through the churches of the ones that, that really need it. Not that everyone didn't need it, but man, when you can, when you can take an 80 year old lady and move her back into a house because of some of the materials that you provided really does, it makes everybody feel good. It makes, makes up, you know, months worth of hard work worth it. Um, and there's something to be said about that. Well, and uh, you know, that's certainly one of the kind of um, unexpected benefits that we hear so much from people who are in uh, this industry and running stores and communities throughout the uh, United States and Canada is, is, is becoming, um, a 
such so deeply rooted in the community, but really being able to help the community in so in so many ways. What are some of the things? And again, you're still early in your career, but what are some of the things that that you think uh, you know kind of reinforce? Or, or let you uh, have some solace thinking, you know, this was a pretty good choice for me to go to, to go into this kind of career. <laughs> so, or, uh, or maybe there aren't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, you like my chuckle, don't you? Uh, <laughs> I think the biggest thing about construction as a career, and you see it through COVID, is it, it's stability, right? So I'm fortunate enough to be in a facet of, the industry and and America as a whole, where it seems like everyone in hardware stores and in construction are asked to step up whenever there's a disaster, right? So, like, I think that that's one great stability is is huge um, when it comes to that. That's one thing that we've really had, and I, I'm I'm proud of myself for and not to toot my own horn, but I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of a, a work-life balance. And I think everybody that, that works with me um, understands that and sees that as well. Because if you don't have a happy life whenever you go home, when you get to work, you're not gonna be happy either. Whether that's the amount of pay that I'm able to give somebody, whether that's the family situation, whether that's the house that got flooded or got fixed up and now they're in a good mood. I mean, there's so many things. And if, and if you don't have a happy life, at home, then you're not going to make for a very good person at work. And if those employees aren't happy, then they're not going to treat your customers well. And yeah. that's, that's the biggest thing. That, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Uh, aside from that, you, you, you know, if someone came up to you and said, you know, I'm, I'm 25 years old, just got out of college and, or, or maybe uh, just got out of the military or whatever it is and said, I'm thinking about going into the family business. I think I want to become a, a, a lumber dealer or a home center or hardware retailer, what, what would you tell them? What would you say? Well, honestly, what would you say to them? I would say the sky's the limit. Like yeah. it is the lumber yard, the hardware store. It, it's not a sexy draw, right? It's not IT. It's not computers. It's not all these things that maybe millennials want to go into necessarily. I'm a millennial, but I'm on the tail end of that. So maybe uh, or the very start of that, I guess I should say. Uh, so I don't really consider myself one. Um, it's not a sexy industry, but man, what it can provide somebody who maybe doesn't even go to college. I mean, we've got outside sales guys that have a high school education sure. that are providing extremely well for their families. Oh, yeah. Um, extremely, extremely well. So, and But those guys didn't start there, right? Like you can get into it. And you can make $9 an hour sweeping a floor in a warehouse. And if you work hard in this industry, you can progress and progress and progress where the sky's the limit. You know, if you're, if you're graduating college and, you're, and you want to be a doctor, well, if you don't go to medical school, you're never going to be a doctor. If you graduate college and you want to be a business owner, you can start out in construction. You can start out in one facet, right? And then you can work really hard and work your butt off. And one day you can own your own company. You know, the sky's the limit when it comes to the industry. And people don't just necessarily see that. If you work hard, you can achieve anything in it. So. That's a really good point. So, so if the sky's the limit, what, where are you thinking that, uh, that Holmes is going to go in the next few years? What are your kind of goals uh, for where you want to take the company? That's a really good question. Um, I would say this: we have we have a great home base. Uh, the the store in Baton Rouge, uh, we've got about 115, 120 people here. It's a it's a big facility for us in the area. It's nine acres, um, all concrete. I mean, we we roll in this place, and I think that we could open up more stores in the surrounding areas in future years, possibly, that this store kind of helps facilitate, right? Um, I think that that's one facet of it. I would still like to expand windows and doors, um, just because I've always, I've always been a window and door guy. There's not many aesthetically pleasing things that we sell. Drywall is not great to look at. 
yeah. two befores are not great to look at. Windows and doors are aesthetically pleasing. You can you can get somebody a good looking house because of their windows and doors. So I've always liked that. I've always grown up liking that. I think we can we can progress there further. Um, but it really gets down to people. And if we have the right people and we find the right people and we find the right places, then really the sky is the limit. You know, it, it truly is. And that, that could be expanding outside of the Baton Rouge market, or that could be picking up more product categories in Baton Rouge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the sky certainly sounds like it's the limit. And, and uh, congratulations as well. I should have started out by congratulating you for, for uh, being uh, recognized as one of the young retailers of the year. And for all of our listeners, I want you to encourage uh, as we lead up to the actual um, uh, award ceremony, which we'll be giving you more details on um, as we get closer to the date. But you'll learn more uh, about Matthew and his uh, compatriots who were also uh, named to this year's class of Young Retailers of the Year. Uh, we'll be featuring all of the winners in, in articles in Hardware Retailing Magazine and in other ways uh, as we move forward. So I would encourage everybody who listens to Matthew's story and is inspired by what, what he's been able to do down in Louisiana to continue listening to the stories of the other uh, Young Retailer of the Year Award winners that we're going to be having as guests on this program in the coming weeks. And, and you know, every year I say this, but, but it's always so impressive to listen to you guys and your stories. And, and, and on top of what you've been able to accomplish, what we get from all of you guys is just that enthusiasm to do more. And, and to grow your businesses and to explore new areas. And that's what's so comforting for guys like me that have been around this industry for, for a couple of decades and, and, and want to make sure that as we're moving forward that the industry is in good hands. And, and it always makes all of us feel really good to hear you guys' stories and where you plan on taking your businesses in the industry. So, Matthew, thank you so much for being a guest on, on the podcast today. And I look forward to getting to know you a little bit more as we move forward. And I'm sure our listeners uh, are the same way. Just want to hear more about you guys' story and, and what you got going on and what you have planned for the future. So thank you. Dan, I really appreciate it. Um, I would not be doing um, everybody uh, on the Holmes team any justice without thanking them as well. Uh, I won the award, but it's solely because the people that, that work with us on a daily basis. I couldn't have done it without them. Uh, my parents, my lovely wife at home. Uh, so thank everybody for helping me with this. Well, well, thank you so much, Matthew. And congratulations again, um, you know, for, for a well-deserved honor and, and uh, welcome to your start of your career in the retail industry and, and many years of success. Thank you so much. All right, Dan, y'all have a good one. Thank you.